0: And we get to the end of the program again, the last segment, and it will be to talk about some unusual stories. And I am once again joined by Brian Smith. G'day, Brian. G'day, David. And Errol Smith. G'day, Errol. G'day, David. Now, this story from Land Rover, which they have an app that you install in the car and it shows up on the central touchscreen. You can also put little tags on things that you know that you always want to carry in the car, like your phone and your wallet. The device detects if those tags are there. If they're not, they warn the driver and tell them what to do. I don't know about you, gentlemen, but I uh, like the idea. I've always thought we ought to have this far more widely used to find car keys.
1: Oh, absolutely.
2: Yes. Mm. Well, well, that's the fundamental problem with this, David, because to use this system, you need to get into your car to activate it. And for (laughs) that, you need your car keys...
1: (laughs) So you need them at least once, don't you? <laughs> but thankfully, the, the, the app that they're using, which is called Tile, um, operates on your smartphone as well. So if you can find your phone, you can use the system to find your keys to allow you to get into the car to set it up.
2: Mm. And, I, I, and I've seen uh, some people have actually attached one of these things to their phone. So if you can't find your phone, you can, but you do have your keys in your car, you get in the car and it can find the
1: phone. <laughs> It'll drive you there.
0: If you can't find your keys and you can get in the car, it puts up a sign saying you haven't got your keys. It also puts up another sign saying, "Security has failed."
2: <laughs> I, I don't know how, how successful this is going to be. The, these are tiles they're called. They're not very small. They're sort of about the size of a matchbox. Oh, good grief. The idea of it was sort of a thin matchbox. The idea of having one of those in your wallet. Which is something they suggest and attached to your phone and your and your keys and your you know your bag and all that stuff seems a little impractical to me and they're about twenty five dollars each.
1: No, they're not cheap, are they? Um, and, and they use an interesting sort of crowdsourcing thing, so that if your if your keys and things are close by, it will make a little noise and um, and sort of tell you. But uh, if it's far away, but it's close to someone else who has that smartphone app. Then you can sort of track it, track them by GPS. It's it's quite an amazing system of of making things smart. I mean, it's, it's you you know you've got smart televisions now, your cars are increasingly smart, and now we're all very connected. And uh, what worries me, of course, is who who is getting all the information and tracking what I'm doing with my keys. If
0: you can't find your wallet, maybe someone else can.
1: Well, look, I just go outside and I wave to the black helicopters and. And they usually say down the back of the couch.
0: Could you put a, a, a tile on your children, just in case you've lost lose them?
1: Like as long as they're small enough to insert under the skin, <laughs> <laughs> or as an earring. Now there's an idea, you know. Oh, okay. And look, a, a detectable earring. So not only know where the person is wearing the earring, but where the lost earring is as well.
0: Now, let me say another story. Brussels-based independent think tank, it's called the European Transport Safety Council, they've warned that driverless cars will need to undergo driving tests to ensure that they meet national highway rules. We at Overdrive have thought of the need to test technology such as electronic stability controls. Everyone says a car has it now, but are they equal? Are they good? Do some work better than others? Do some increase safety? Do some make it marginal? So really, if we are going to test driverless cars, gentlemen, what sort of test do you think we might have?
2: Well, David, uh, I think it, it has to flash its lights at oncoming traffic if, <laughs> if it's just past a speed trap.
0: <laughs> I wonder if you can bribe the tester.
1: Well, look, David, uh, connected with that. I mean, everyone at the moment is assuming that the driverless cars will be very democratic in the sense that they'll they'll obey the rules they'll ne- negotiate amongst themselves for access and crossings and and um, you know passing and and uh, merging and things like that. Well, look, I think there's a real chance for systems to look for advantages over other systems, so you could have you know you might be able to in a sense bribe in inverted commas your smart car system to exceed the speed limit or to drive more mm-hmm. aggressively than others or even to um, get priority on on roads like uh, driving a bus lane for a while. So I like the idea of testing how effective these are. There's got to be some kind of standard or algorithm that um, controls everything or that, that they must fit within. And I guess the system of how they detect and analyze other vehicle movements um, I'd like one test to be how do they perform when a, when a bicycle appears or a pedestrian
0: the idea of uh, bribing the tester and that given that the tester is human that might not necessarily be the case although you could do it if the car goes over the speed limit it automatically transfers some money into his bank account mm. <laughs> you, know, you could link the systems together Road rage, has it got to show that it can do that, give the finger salute? I mm. agree with you about a cyclist. I wonder if, though, we might have a virtual reality test where, at the moment, you sit on a dynamometer and measure it, but that's a bit simplistic. What if it had a coatal test where it got signals about cars in front and in different lanes and it had to cope with it?
1: In a virtual way. And mm. you test how it's going. You could also test how realistic its uh, emission is data and, uh, and fuel consumption data, right?
0: <laughs> Well, uh, the Toyota Prius, Prius is the first car to have undergone Europe's NCAP newest test of autonomous braking. It's actually, for, particularly for pedestrians. Mm. So we are starting to get into that. But this raises the question, gentlemen, of what is the road test of the future going to be? Yes,
1: yeah, so when you're just mm. an almost passive Occupant. I I think in the states at the moment, California, I believe, is is looking to mandate there would still be a driving wheel, a steering wheel in the in an autonomous vehicle. So the role of and and hopefully a brake. Yes, but the role of the passenger as to whether you are entirely passive and and just a passenger, or whether you're expected to take over in certain circumstances, and and. If the circumstances in which you are expected to take over are extreme, then yeah, we might have to make sure that people are very skilled in making snap decisions when things are going horribly wrong.
0: And that's what we should test.
1: House yeah. is over to you. What?
0: <laughs> there was a book, I think it was called A Brief History of the Future. And it proposed that humans will work on only two things in the future because robots will take over everything else. The two things they'll work on is insurance and distraction. Yeah. (laughs) Now, that's perfectly what we might have to measure as a road tester in any new car. What's the insurance and how good is the distraction while it's driving along and I'm sitting there doing something.
2: Well, that, that yeah. could be the measure of how safe the car is, David, is, is how expensive the insurance is.
1: Well, I mean, the, the, the expectation is that uh, insurance claims and injuries will drop by incredible amounts. Human error is more than 95% of of uh, crash reasons. So th- yes. the potential for massively reduced insurance cost is huge. The, hence, insurance companies are very closely involved in autonomous vehicle de- development but there's a, a line in the story about the NCAP um, story David where it says um, you know uh, the, the car would break automatically to avoid a pedestrian crash so right in there is is I think the the biggest most interesting piece of information for cities is that the moment pedestrians are only stopped from doing whatever they want by the fact that they might get killed by a human driving a car so if if you've got a you know, electronic system, an automated system that will definitely not crash into you. Then, yeah, you know, everyone will just walk out into traffic all the time,
0: play chicken. Mm. I drove the Audi A4 Avant. We road Tester in this uh, program, and it had two Audi tablets as an option in the back seat for the children, and they could find a destination and send it to the driver and link it into the navigation system. Like a a McDonald's
1: or something like that.
0: So what I'm saying is that the road test of the future may well be to sit in the back and try out all the technology. Mm.
2: So if if they ask, are we there yet? That's just not funny anymore because they know.
0: Well, what you say to them is look up screen five, which, like an aeroplane, is a map of where we are and where we're Mm. going. But, of
1: course, all our children will be digital natives by the time these things come to pass. So, you know, we'll need to have a nine-year-old to teach us how to drive the the behaviour inside the car, even set the clock.
0: Old crotchety road testers, motoring journalists, are in fact going to be redundant.
1: Yes, yes. It's
0: it's going to be smart grandchildren.
1: And you'll be able to tell, um, you know, instead of the Volvo driver with the hat... Uh, you'll be able to tell when you know you see a car driving along whether it's just flashing zero 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 <laughs> with a the baseball cap on. Backwards. Failed to even set the uh, the clock correctly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, granddad's VCR.
0: Well, that that'll be the the vintage car of the future, <laughs> That's isn't it? Right.
1: <laughs> the biggest test, David, will be being able to drive a car non non autonomously in an autonomous vehicle world. So at which yes, point do you um, allow humans to, to join the traffic stream, given that they're unpredictable and obviously their reactions are a lot slower than the machine. Yes,
2: and will there be autonomous-only lanes?
1: Yeah, they may well say that, um, you know, if you want to drive your own car, you've got to, first of all, have a very sophisticated licence, which might needed to be updated very regularly. And uh, not only that, you may have to pay huge insurance costs to be able to pilot your own vehicle.
0: There is a strong suggestion that driving autonomously will become mandatory,
2: Hmm. that it is irresponsible not to. Yeah. Errol, a story. Well, David, Google has used its self-driving car technology, as we've just been discussing, in an unexpected place uh, to create a self-riding bicycle. This bike can come to you when you call it from your smartphone, of course. It can take the kids wherever they want. Uh, You can even work on the bike and let it take care of the road, you know, just tap away on your laptop, whatever, while it's riding for you. And it, and it even does the pedalling. It's been described by Google as the biggest invention since the invention of the bicycle itself. But it is, of course, an April Fool's joke.
1: And a wonderful one, might I say. <laughs> it was quite wonderful.
2: I think it's one of the best ones I've seen.
0: And it had people like the deputy mayor of a Dutch town or something talking about it. And, uh,
2: you know, it really... I, Pulled it off very, very cleverly, I thought. I like how they, they, the bike is standing up on its own without moving and, and the, the, you know, the technician like, tries to knock it over onto its side and it just magically rides itself. And Brian, we were talking about this, sort of, uh, autonomous
0: pedal vehicles so that if I want to get a rickshaw to the bus stop, that's fine, but then the vehicle comes back and picks up someone else.
1: Yes, what a lovely idea. And you contribute. You contribute your effort in a sense of pedalling, don't you?
2: Mm. Mm. Yeah, we we did suggest a self-driving rickshaw. Maybe Google will do that next April 1st.
0: They did say, of course, you could also work while you're on your bicycle. You could look at your phone because the bicycle will look after itself. Mm. Now, we also did a story about an autonomous racing bike, and we thought, why have it? Because if you've got a bike, you only need you know, it only really carries one person most of the time. Where, in fact, this might have a reality to it. Possible.
2: Once, once electric bikes become a bit more common, it may be, uh, maybe it'll head down the road of the, of the automated car. Actually, your point about it falling over, I think, is the
0: biggest issue. <laughs> yes. That's a, like a turtle that goes on its back. You, <laughs> the bike
2: couldn't get itself up. It'll just, just uh, you know, spin its wheels in the air <laughs> crazily.
1: <laughs> That's where the kickstand finally comes into its own. Throws it out to hold itself up.
0: Oh, or training wheels.
1: <laughs> yes, automatically deployed. Well, you, you should expect it to do a track stand, shouldn't you? Like a like a racing cyclist. Brian, you have a story of a Porsche. Yeah, certainly, darling. It's it, darling. Certainly, David, it's a Porsche that uh, we could all own, and it's a Lego one. Uh, Lego's just uh, introduced a, a new uh, part of its Technics range, which are sort of sophisticated adult Lego. It's the Porsche GT3 RS. Kit's got 2704 pieces. And of course, if you buy them individually, the, the kit costs one million dollars. Um, but it includes an extraction manual so thick it's a bit like a coffee table book. It's uh it's a pretty attractive looking kit. It's uh it's kind of very Lego-like. It took three years for them to kind of um to design this thing. It's uh, still not as many as it's uh, as Lego's Millennium Falcon, which is uh, cracks the scales at five thousand one hundred ninety-five pieces. But it's pretty nice. It's a one to eight scale car. It uh, doesn't go, but um, but it looks like a pretty cool sort of uh, bit of toy for someone. Uh, mm, are you I, a I, Lego fan, Errol?
2: Oh, absolutely, Brian. And I, what I really liked about this is that it actually has a working dual-clutch gearbox. The only thing I can say about that is I hope it works better than the real VW one.
0: <laughs>
2: well, the emissions from this are much lower, David.
0: Brian, and Errol, you describe it, and Errol, you're a techo. I can understand that as, you know, and the story describes it as gorgeous, desirable. I think it looks a bit like a junkyard challenge result. The bits don't seem to fit neatly together. I mean, it it fits together and makes a car, but it looks like it's made out of scrap bits and pieces. Mm. But but they they junkyard
2: that, Porsche. That's pretty much how Lego works, David. It's odds and ends thrown together to get something that approximates the uh, the real thing. But of course, the the whole idea is, of course, that you can reuse it to make something else.
1: I don't know. Can you, Errol? Because a lot of the parts look like sort of panels that are pretty specific to the to the kit. Um,
0: yeah, there's they... only two, only seven new pieces, yeah. and they're very small. Yeah, I, was,
2: I was surprised about that actually, how how few pieces there are that are unique.
0: But uh, it's they say it's only going to cost three hundred dollars US
2: only for it's
0: a toy. Yeah, well, well, but Brian, you're right. If you buy the pieces individually. <laughs> mm. well, we, we went to a Lego exhibition. The kid bought a little flag. I'm talking about something that's about, you know, 10 millimetres long. It was $2.50 or something. Yeah. It's, you know, if
1: the individual parts. It's even <laughs> worse than buying, you know, car parts, real car parts.
2: Yeah, it's even more expensive. <laughs> and we, we still pay the, uh, the Australia tax because it's 300 US, bad. but it's 500 Australian. Oh, my goodness.
1: Look, is Meccano still around? Uh, yeah, it's hanging yeah, Me- in there. A Macano Porsche—that would be much more interesting. Nuts mm. and bolts, and you know, a bit of bendy yeah. metal, sharp edges. Well, it'd, it'd probably be a, uh, you know, a
2: Macano, Aston Martin, or something, wouldn't it? Oh yeah, like couldn't this. be it couldn't be a European brand. Have to be British.
0: The thing about it, Brian, you're right. It does
2: have a working dual clutch gearbox and a six cylinder horizontally opposed engine, of course. Which the pistons go in and out, Hmm. but... Despite having 2,700 pieces, it's still only a fraction of a real car, which has uh, 10 times that, at least. It's got to get things like cruise control working. That's the real test, isn't it? (laughs) Errol, finally a story. Well, David, this one could be uh, an April Fool's joke as well, but um, it's a little bit more like a Darwin Award entry test there's a myth in Louisville Kentucky of a goat man who appears on a trestle rail bridge but of course he only appears if you walk across the bridge first unfortunately a couple decided to test this theory and encountered a freight train with the expected fatal results so David the truth is out there but so are idiots
0: well so there was something it was called the Pope Lick Monster, which sounds like it's sacrilegious, but in fact there's a nearby creek called Pope Lick. Why? I don't know, but that's, that's what you get in America. This is a country where 30% of people believe world championship wrestling is for real, isn't it?
1: <laughs> and they watch NASCAR. But I, I love the idea of these trestle bridges. These are these incredibly high and long bridges where many movies will feature someone partway along one of those trestle bridges and having to run in front of the the oncoming freight train they mm. don't yeah, seem to have much safety provision
2: yeah there's nothing to the sides so mm. the, the, the basically the edge where the rails are is the edge of the bridge
0: can't you lie down between the tracks isn't that the
1: trick yeah look I'd, <laughs> I'd, i'm not sure I'd as like long as try. they
0: don't have a big cow catcher
1: on the front yes.
2: the woman was killed but uh the, the Guy apparently survived by sort of jumping over the side and hanging off the edge.
1: That would be pretty scary because, you know, if you think of a freight train with 50 or 60 cars, it might take quite a long time uh, Mm. for it to go past. I think the driver saw someone on the track but was unable to stop. So, you know, trains take a very long uh, time to stop and and operating at about 60-odd kilometres an hour or 70 kilometres an hour, a lot faster than you can run.
0: As we say, the Darwin Awards where you lose people whom perhaps their contribution to the gene pool would not be all that strong. Gentlemen, always good to talk to you. Thank you for your time. No worries. Cheers, David. Errol Smith and Brian Smith talking some quirky news.